Day after tomorrow, gentlemen, we'll be in Las Vegas. Welcome to Vegas. Las Vegas functions on a 24-hour-a-day schedule. The pools, the casino, big volcano out in front. That's the Eiffel Tower. Bellagio. Riviera. The Mirage. Flamingo. Sahara. The MGM Grand. This isn't the real Caesars Palace, is it? Want to gamble? They always put the machines that pay off the most right in the front. Good luck. The Strip is just the most amazing stretch of road, I think, probably anywhere in the world. Kicking ass in Vegas. Vegas, baby. Vegas, baby. Welcome to Las Vegas. The Frontier is a property that, despite its multiple incarnations, has never appealed to me. By the time I came to the city for the first time, she was already a rundown grind joint on the Strip. But Vegas history is Vegas history. So it was inevitable that, at some point, this property would capture my attention long enough to learn all I could about it. Turns out, I don't have to love a property to find them interesting and worthy of a 360 Vintage Vegas segment. The Frontier started out as the Paradise Club in 1930, a small nightclub on what would become known as the Las Vegas Strip. Because gambling and liquor was still illegal, when they opened, the property operated more like the speakeasies you read about with the whole password to get in thing. It didn't open to the public until after gambling was re-legalized in Nevada in 1931. In February of 1932, the Paradise Club announced constructions to enlarge the club to accommodate up to 150 people. Rumors began to circulate that the property was going to close, but that was refuted by ownership. However, in January of 1933, the Paradise did close, citing a lack of sufficient patronage to cover operating costs. It reopened in April of 1933 under new management. By July, it was busted for serving alcohol. After that misstep, the property operated until May of 1936 when it underwent a name change to the Ambassador Nightclub. In January of 1939, former L.A. police captain Guy McAfee bought the club, invested $20,000 for renovations, and reopened it in March as the 91 Club after the road that it resided on, Highway 91, known today as The Strip. For more on Guy McAfee, check out our 360 Vintage Vegas segment, How the Mob Came to Vegas. In 1941, R.E. Griffith, a movie theater magnate, saw the El Rancho and the various small clubs that dotted Highway 91 and decided the market could bear another Western-themed property. Not only that, he also thought that he could build a better version of the theme. Interestingly enough, Griffith already owned a hotel by the name of El Rancho in Gallup, New Mexico. In fact, legend has it that R.E. and his architect nephew William Moore were on their way to California to get supplies for a new resort they were building in New Mexico when they stopped off in Las Vegas specifically the El Rancho, just built on Highway 91. What they saw was almost limitless potential. So they canceled their plans for New Mexico and decided to build in Vegas. So we purchased 35 acres of land, including the 91 Club, at $1,000 per acre, equating to $18,000 per acre today. During construction, challenges were plenty as materials were being rationed for World War II by the U.S. government. During the building, Local residents voiced concern that the Strip couldn't support another hotel, technically another motel. Despite the challenges, just 18 months after the first hotel casino opened on the Las Vegas Strip, on October 30th, 1942, the Strip's second hotel casino opened with 105 rooms. 
It was named the Hotel Last Frontier, inspired by the idea that Vegas was the last frontier. The property used the motto, the early west in modern splendor. Some said the property was too big and plushy for Vegas. While the El Rancho was set up like a motor court, the last frontier was a single sprawling building. It also had several distinct but connected segments giving the appearance of a main street from the old west. The resort offered horseback riding, barbecue, line dancing, and other Western-themed activities. It had a 600-seat showroom that doubled as a dining room named the Ramona Room. It was shake-roofed with big logs to support it over the dance floor and a miniature covered wagon hanging in the lobby. South of the Ramona Room was the Carrillo Room, named after Leo Carrillo, the Cisco Kid's sidekick. While also having 600 seats, it was little more than an octagonal tower that had been part of the 91 Club. The Gay 90s Bar was a building relocated from the old Arizona Club, specifically the bar and frontage, formerly located on Block 16, just off Fremont Street in the city's notorious red light district. Adding to the decor were stools made out of leather in the form of western saddles. The room had furniture specifically designed for the property and each room had a separate air conditioning heating unit controlled by the guest. It was reported that 3,700 trees, plants, and shrubs were placed on the grounds. Just like the El Rancho before it, the property had a pool placed right in front of the property surrounded by a split rail fence. To further entice travelers to stop, pretty girls were placed poolside. Authentic Pioneer Day furnishings were acquired from all over the West. Taking inspiration from the El Rancho, a modern Texaco gas station was built as an early western firehouse with a brilliant neon sign over the canopy depicting horses drawing a pumper. The idea was to get visitors to stop and naturally they would be curious enough to see what the property had to offer. Ownership used their connections with movie theaters to attract celebrities to the resort. The Last Frontier was one of the first to hire planes to fly the entertainment and gamblers to the resort. One of the charter airlines they worked with was owned by a man named Kirk Kikorian future owner of MGM Resorts. For more information on Kirk, check out his 360 Vintage Vegas episode. Stagecoaches picked up guests from the airport and offered sea vessels for charter and Lake Mead. Part of the last frontier village was the Little Church of the West, built in 1942. This chapel has the dubious distinction of being the only building in Vegas to avoid demolition multiple times by physically relocating itself. The first time was in 1954 when it moved from the north side of the Last Frontier to the south to accommodate hotel and Last Frontier village expansion plans. To make way for the Fashion Show Mall, the chapel was moved again in 1979 to the Hacienda. In 1996, when the Hacienda closed and was preparing for demolition to make way for Mandalay Bay, it was relocated again, this time across the street where it resides to this day. It remains the oldest building on the Las Vegas Strip and was added to the National Register of Historic Places on September 14, 1992. Those that got married at the Little Chapel of the West include Betty Grable, Judy Garland, Jaja Gabor, Mickey Rooney, Robert Goulet, Dudley Moore, and Mel Torme. It was also featured in the Elvis Presley and Margaret movie, Viva Las Vegas. Sadly, majority owner R.E. Griffith never saw any of those expansions as he died of a heart attack on November 24, 1943, a little over a year after the last frontier opened. William Moore took over in his stead. It's said that Howard Hughes' love of Vegas started with the last frontier and was a frequent guest at the property. In 1944, the last frontier paid Liberace $750 per week to perform at the property. 
The residency was so popular that the property doubled his salary after the first appearance. In 1945, due to the hotel's popularity, 65 rooms were added. The Hotel Last Frontier was the first strip property to be featured in a film, El Dorado, in 1946, starring Roy Rogers. While the film was about the annual festival held in Vegas, to avoid printing the word hell, filmmakers changed the name so it only had one hell. On November 10, 1945, the Nevada Tax Commission ordered The Last Frontier to pay a fine after having been charged with paying employees more than the federal wage ceilings. You heard me right. They were fined for paying people too much. In July of 46, Bugsy Siegel stayed at the last frontier property while construction on what would become known as the Flamingo was underway. The FBI wiretapped the resort to keep tabs on the notorious gangster. For more information about Billy Wilkerson, Bugsy Siegel, and the Flamingo, check out our 360 Vintage Vegas segment, Billy Wilkerson and the Flamingo. Also in 1946, it was reported that the first lounge act in Vegas started at the last frontier. The Last Frontier Village was conceived in 1947 with the help of millionaire gambler Robert Doby Doc Caldo, who had been collecting Nevada antiques since 1914 and had more than 900 tons of relics in 1,700 packing boxes housed in two warehouses. It's said to have cost $37,000 in freight charges to relocate said antiques to the property for display. The Last Frontier Village was a free attraction for guests and featured several authentic buildings, as well as a mining train which had an engine, baggage car, two coaches, and a caboose. Legend was the baggage car was used to transport over 30 million in gold, silver, and lead bullion. Covered wagons and vintage automobiles could be seen around the village, as well as lifelike paper mache figures. A part of the village was the Frontier Museum and Saloon, containing a $100,000 antique rifle and pistol collection. Another feature at the last Frontier Village was the fire bell, cast in $600 in silver dollars to give the bell a more beautiful tone. The bell was rung for fires, deaths of celebrities, and celebrations. The Birdcage Theater in the Frontier Village would show old-time movies from 9 a.m. to 9 p.m. at no charge. The Last Frontier Village was described as an authentic restoration of a western village during the gold rush days. Its buildings were moved from abandoned ghost towns in Nevada and restored to their original appearance. Children were welcome at the Last Frontier Village and were treated to a set of their own amenities including a merry-go-round, pony rides, miniature train rides, and other amusements. Dobie was paid to appear there daily to explain the collection to visitors. The village had more than 30 stores in the complex, including the Gold Slipper Casino, which housed the town's first convention facility on the second floor. It was 11,000 square feet. The Golden Slipper would be renamed the Silver Slipper because after the property started advertising, Golden Nugget claimed Golden Slipper was too close to Golden Nugget and threatened litigation. Ownership agreed to change the name and decided on Silver Slipper. However, that name was already in use at a small bar and casino on Boulder Highway. So the ownership approached the owners of the Silver Slipper to buy the name from them. As a part of the deal, William Moore agreed to pay to replace all the existing signage to whatever name they wanted. And so the Golden Slipper became the Silver Slipper. The Silver Slipper's main attraction, in addition to gambling, was its burlesque show seven nights a week, boxing in the second floor auditorium, an inexpensive Chuck Wagon Buffet, and the Red Garter Lounge, a speakeasy where guests were entertained with a Dixieland band. Unlike other resorts on the Strip, the Silver Slipper was only a casino, 
It had neither a hotel or motel accommodations. When part of the last Frontier Village was demolished for the new Frontier development, the Silver Slipper expanded and became its own casino, separate from the new Frontier. The Silver Slipper would go on to become known as the Insiders Club, frequented by names like Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. The Silver Slipper Gambling Hall opened at the last Frontier Village in September of 1950. When the Kefauver Committee came to town in November of 1950, the first witness they called was William Moore, executive director of the Hotel Last Frontier. New ownership that included Guy McAfee, Belden Cadelman, and Jack Kozloff took over the Last Frontier August 24, 1951. At the time, McAfee and Kozloff also held a majority interest in the Golden Nugget. In 1952, Sammy Davis Jr. was performing at the Last Frontier as a member of the Will Mastern Trio when he was involved in an automobile accident that would result in the loss of his eye. In 1953, the property underwent an identity change. It was renamed the New Frontier, and the property was refurbished with modern contemporary Western decor. The new slogan was Out of This World. Artist rendering showed off a romantic building with sweeping angles. April 1955, we hope you've enjoyed this premium content preview. For access to the rest of this episode, as well as all the premium content we offer, go to patreon.com slash 360vegas. A monthly subscription will give you access to the enhanced version of the podcast, often with bonus content, exclusive podcasts like 360 Vintage Vegas, 360 Origins, 360 Vegas Movies, insider information on all things 360 Vegas, 360 Vegas Vacation, and early access to everything. To subscribe, simply go to patreon.com slash 360vegas. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N. Or you can find a link to Patreon on our blog, 360vegaspodcast.com. Hey.